Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello, and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me in the virtual studio is the man who was the original DJ for Run DMC, <laughs> Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, how are you doing today? I, uh, I'm sorry, I was just polishing my Adidas's. Uh, I'm well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, Your clamshell Adidas. <laughs> that's right, exactly. And getting ready to celebrate yet another Christmas in Hollis, which you <laughs> yeah. will remember, of course, is the track from A Very Special Christmas by Run DMC. Oh, such a classic. They may be the first kind of rap group that I was aware of, you know, as a, as a white kid growing up in, in Seattle, Washington, uh, you know, their crossover work that they did with Aerosmith in the, uh, in the eighties, uh, maybe the first time I ever became aware of them, you know, and that opened an entirely new world to me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And it did, it, it, that really, um, where rap became kind of mainstream, right. Uh, with, 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 uh, run DMC. And yeah, then, of course, we went back and I, I discovered, you know, the Sugar Hill Gang, uh, uh, yeah. you know, and all, all sorts of all sorts of great stuff. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. I mean, all sorts of great stuff that then became just like, as you say, mainstream. And and uh, and of course, now you would you would say many parts of it even kind of dominate uh, the top 40. Now, I'm led to believe uh, because I am now still stuck in the country music in which I was raised. And so that's all I end up <laughs> listening to. That and the band Queen, which, of course, you and I share. A oh, great, yes. Great love Absolutely. for. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. A lot of those rap actors are crossed over now to acting. Right. You know? Yeah. LL Ice Cool J, Ice, LL cool J, Ice yeah. Cube. Yeah. Right? Those all of the Ices. Vanilla no, Ice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All the bre- all the beverages. <laughs> <laughs> so good, so good. Uh, well, you've been traveling just a little bit, Deacon. I think uh, you were in Chicago recently. Yes, yeah, I did the Catholic Marketing Network trade show where I was promoting. Well, I was, just, I was there for three reasons. I was promoting my new book on the diaconate, Our Life of Service, which comes out uh, in this in uh, November, and I was also giving a talk on podcasting. And nice. I also gave a talk on pilgrimages, why they're important and, and why people should go. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was fun. It was just great just to be with people and to connect and reconnect with people again. And, and just, you know, it was awesome. And I had, um, I got a text from Father Frank Pavone. So he and I and Janet Miranda had lunch and they told me about their, their new operations in Florida, that they moved everything from New York to Florida now. And talking about all the wonderful things that they're doing there. And I also had lunch with uh, Father Don Calloway, who oh, yeah. was on our show. Not of course, ago. friend of the show, Father Donald. Yes. yes. Yep. And Father Chris Alar. And uh, had lunch with them just talking about um, what's going on with the Marians. I did some videos for them. I did uh, some apologetics. They have, a, they have a video series called Ask a Marian. And so I, I'm not a Marian, of course, but I <laughs> guess I guess start, I guess, if you will, on there, answering a couple apologetics questions for, from people that send questions to them. So I did a couple videos there. And um, yeah, I just had, oh, it's just, I was just so good to be out and to be with people and, and see the, the, the passion of the Catholic community coming together again after so long 
um, during COVID being apart. It was awesome. Yeah. That's so it's given me, give me a little taste of being back on the road again. So, yeah. Fun. Well, last evening I uh, participated in a fundraiser for uh, Redeemer Radio here in uh, Michiana, the uh, the Viva Bocce, uh, a big bocce uh, ball tournament, and and uh, uh, a lot of fun. Lots of lots of folks turned out. I think they had like fourteen teams that were all young adults. And that's a wonderful turnout, you know, and then they're out of 26 teams, 14 of them were, were young adults. So the kids these days, uh, you know, but uh, <laughs> just a lot of fun. And it's really great to see support for, you know, Catholic radio. Obviously, you and I have been involved here uh, with Living Stones for over six years now. And we've seen the great fruits of Catholic radio, you know, the ability to share the joy of being Catholic, the ability to take deep dives into the truths of the faith and discuss, you know, like we've been discussing for the last number of weeks, uh, this great encyclical by Pope John Paul II, uh, Evangelium Vitae. Um, but just a chance to share the faith and the, the importance of Catholic Radio, for me, one of the things I've always appreciated is that you never know who's going to be listening. You, and you never know who's going to, you know, get in the car and, and start it up and hear exactly what the Holy Spirit needs them to hear right then and, you know, right there. Uh, and so for me, that's, it's so wonderful to see people supporting the work of uh, the many great Catholic radio stations across the United States. These are, for the most part, apostolates of the laity. You know, uh, I know Modern Day Radio that uh, produces Living Stones is entirely listener supported, and it's a lay apostolate. And I know the same is true of Redeemer Radio here in Michiana. So many stations are lay people putting their talents, their time, and their treasure to the work of evangelization. And so uh, it's great to see that, and, and we're delighted to be part of the work of Catholic Radio. So that's the uh, that's that's what I've been up to of late. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Of course, preparing for all the students to come back as well. Yes, indeed. Actually, we're just a few weeks away. January, or January, <laughs> August 23rd <laughs> is uh, the opening day of uh, the fall semester here at Notre Dame. And it's going to be, again, entirely in person. And we're we're proceeding and hoping that uh, that everything proceeds according to plan, including the first opening game of the football season on September 11th versus Toledo. So going to be back in Notre Dame Stadium together. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been doing a, a, a yeoman's task going through this beautiful document, Evangelium Vitae, um, revisiting the beautiful teaching on St. John Paul II on the Gospel of Life, uh, written back in 1995. And um, we're we're almost uh, toward the end here. We're we left off, uh, starting up again on paragraph seventy three. Um, very interesting. He says, "There's no obligation in conscience to obey such laws." He's talking about um, uh, abortion and euthanasia um, and, and uh, civil laws. Right. Um, you know the, that even though morally the the, the they're uh, gravely serious sinful acts. Just because they're legal doesn't make them right. Um, he said, instead, there's a grave and clear obligation to oppose them by conscientious objection. You know, so so we have an obligation and responsibility for, of faith from faith to oppose these things. And, and now it doesn't have to be like um, you know you have to make it a massive public thing, but in in ways that God calls us to, we cannot 
you know, um, support um, uh, these kinds of acts whatsoever. Yeah, this is an important call, right? The Holy Father is is letting us know that conscientious objection, which for us, of course, means peaceful conscientious objection, right? We need to actually witness to the value of life. And that means that in no way should we, in our opposition, be destroying life. You know, there are those who will take this to a great extreme and say, well, we need to eliminate abortion clinics. And if if that means, you know, we, we bomb them or whatever, of course, that is an anti-life act itself. And so we need to be consistent as we witness to the value of life, as we oppose these laws in in good conscience, we need to be writing to our legislators at you know constantly making our our belief and our in the the truth and the value of life. We need to make that you know uh, uh, constantly ringing in the ears of our legislators here in in our democratic you know society in the United States. Write to your your congressmen. Write to you know people at various levels of the political process, let them know, you know, um, it is important to, you know, to be a public witness to life uh, in whatever way is appropriate to your station in life and and in what you can do. So if that means praying uh, at abortion clinics, if that means actively participating in um, work and ministries that minister to um, women who are in difficult pregnancies, all of these sorts of things to support um, to support the change in the laws to reflect what we truly believe about life. And that's at all ends of the spectrum, at abortion and with euthanasia and everything in between. And the Holy Father also points out that this may mean that we may be imprisoned, or as he says, you know, this our, our witness may entail imprisonment or even death. Um, and that is, you know, at the extremes, of course, but I know of a Franciscan friar of the renewal who regularly is praying and witnessing at abortion clinic in New York, who regularly gets arrested for, for civil disobedience. And that is his particular witness. Um, it's not one that necessarily I feel called to, but again, within the station in life in which you are to properly witness to life is what the Holy father says. We in conscience need to be doing. And, you know, that's a great point, Ken. We can't be arrogant about it either. So, for example, the the, the benchmark can't be, well, I'm pro-life, I support this. Look how many times I've been arrested. Right. You know, right. For, so, for example, well, Deacon, how could you not have been arrested? Well, first of all, for my prior career, if I was arrested, I'd lose my job. Because right. <laughs> law yeah, you were in law enforcement. Yeah. Arrested. And even now as a cleric, you know, because we have to go through background checks. And I, I can't have any criminal record. I'm, you see what I'm saying? Because then I won't be able to serve or minister. I won't be able right. to do what God has called me to do. So the way I do it is by going out and I'm giving talks on pro-life. I'm, um, you know, doing debates, you know, um, the truth in love, of course, Ephesians reason 415. Mm-hmm. But as the Holy Father reminds us from Acts chapter 5, we have to obey God rather than men when it, right. when it comes to these issues. And so everybody has their own way. Some people may just, for example, they may have a social media group in which they're posting things and reminding people of things. And that's their way to effectively get the message out there. Um, you know, uh, uh, so we we can't be arrogant saying, well, my way is the best way or the only way. Um, right. Because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we don't want the message of Christ to be lost uh, because we're, we're so caught up in the way that we're evangelizing. 
yeah, our tactics cannot cannot um, prevent us from achieving the overall goal. Um, this paragraph goes on to discuss also those politicians who are themselves in a position to affect legislation directly. And um, the Holy Father says a particular problem of conscience can arise in cases where a legislative vote would be decisive for the passage of a more restrictive law aimed at limiting the number of authorized abortions in place of a more permissive law already passed or ready to be voted on. In a case like this, when it is not possible to overturn or completely abrogate a pro-abortion law, an elected official whose absolute personal opposition to procured abortion was well known could licitly support proposals aimed at limiting the harm done by such a law. So here the Holy Father is talking about the the idea of incremental legislation, which, you know, which moves us closer and closer to the goal of eliminating abortion. And the Holy Father says it's okay for legislators to vote for this progressive legislation if right now it's not possible to entirely overturn pro-abortion laws. And so that, I think, is recognizing a political reality in many of our, you know, certainly in the United States. I can think even, you know, right now we are preparing to hear, uh, the Supreme Court is preparing to hear a case on an incremental law, uh, a law banning abortions uh, under 16 weeks in the state of uh, Mississippi called uh, the Dobbs case, which is coming up. It's very important. My own director at the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture, Professor Carter Sneed, has uh, submitted a friend of the court brief alongside uh, uh, Marianne Glendon, who's, uh, you know, a great professor of, uh, at Harvard Law, now, now retired, but they together wrote this brief in which they say that this particular case is the, is important because it is the chance to overturn Roe v. Wade and to return control of that question on how to properly care for mothers and children and families back to the government rather than leaving it in this straitjacketed case where the Supreme Court says no no discussion on it. So these are cases where the Holy Father is talking about the legitimacy of incremental steps that are ever moving us forward and closer to the elimination of abortion. Yes, that, that's a great point. Um, again, we don't want to be so um, stuck in our thinking, thinking, well, we should just vote for no abortion. Uh, yes, of course, that's the goal. That's what right. we want to get to. But we have to get there incrementally. You right. know, we take we take one law at a time. Okay, we got this one passed. We got this one passed. Okay, now we now we work. We continue to to, to move forward. It's almost, in, in a sense, like the uh, the the Catholic understanding of the law of gradualness. You know, in the way that God works in our lives, you know, you know, there's a place where you want to be, you know, or or, or or a place where you where God needs you to be. But you have to keep cooperating with God's grace. And it's a gradual progression. You know, you move from from one state of life to that. And oh, maybe there's a backslide and now you have to work on some things and now you move forward and take a few steps forward again. It's this gradual progression, you know, and, and the same thing I think is true here as we gradually Deeper our intimacy with the Lord, we gradually work to change unjust laws, um, working within the system. I mean, uh, because we have to respect the system that we've placed ourselves under, but we have to work within that system to make sure that we're eliminating unjust laws and evil wherever they may uh, appear. Absolutely, I like your I like uh, drawing that connection there because. Uh, 
that's one I can I can understand from the inside, right? <laughs> my yeah. own my own constant conversion. Uh, paragraph 74 then goes on to discuss the question of cooperation with evil, just kind of as, as you were mentioning there, um, particularly from the perspective of those who uh, are medical providers and the idea of conscience rights for medical providers and those involved in all aspects of care. Here, the Holy Father says, Christians, like all people of goodwill, are called upon under grave obligation of conscience not to cooperate formally in practices which, even if permitted by civil legislation, are contrary to God's law. Indeed, from the moral standpoint, it is never licit to cooperate formally in evil. Um, and he says, look, much as, you, as we kind of just said, the civil law may permit it, but God's law forbids it. And it is ultimately, he says, this cooperation, if you engage in cooperation, you can't justify it by saying, well, the freedom of others, the, my patient is making that choice, and so I'm just going along with my patient's decision, or even by appealing to the fact that the civil law permits it. John Paul writes, each individual, in fact, has moral responsibility for the acts which he personally performs. No one can be exempted from this responsibility, and on the basis of it, Everyone will be judged by God himself. That's a reminder, mm. citing, wow. you know, Romans uh, chapter 2 and Romans 14. We individually answer for our acts. No, You know, and so this is where, you know, as we said before, conscientious objection is what we Christians are called to do in the face of unjust laws. This is particularly true for medical providers and those who would be directly involved in the commission or omission uh, which leads to death. Um, they too, in conscience, need to um, say no and to object. And they need to be protected in that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's, let's just break this down and make it easier for folks. So we're talking about cooperation and evil. I think it's paragraph 1868, actually, in the Catechism. It talks about formal and material cooperation and evil. So if you're formally cooperating evil. You are doing the evil act. You are committing the act, the yeah. evil act itself. Okay. You are formally doing it. Um, if you're materially cooperating, you're in a sense, not formally, but you're providing the material enabling the it in mechanism a way. to enable that act to occur. Sure. And then under material cooperation, we have what's called proximate and remote material cooperation. So proximate means and all this do is with intention. So proximate material cooperation means I am intentionally um, uh, prom um, promoting this material cooperation to evil. So, for example, you say, well, I'm going to um, uh, some grocery store. And I know this grocery store. I know that a portion of their profits go to Planned Parenthood or, or go to an abortion. And I know that. And I go there because I want to support them in that. Yikes. So you're not formally, you're not getting an abortion or driving someone to, but you're, you're intending to promote it by, by spending your money and hoping that some of your money goes toward that. That would be proximate material cooperation. Remote means it's not intentional. You are not intending to promote it. So you go to the grocery store just to pick up toilet paper, um, you know, eggs and milk. And that's what you're going there for. You're not thinking about where the money's going. You're just going to store because it's convenient and it's it's close to where you are and, and fine. You know, um, uh, now if you, so that would be 
uh, remote material cooperation. You know, you know, you may have heard that the money's going there, but you're not going there, you know, to support that. You're going there to get stuff for your family. Yeah. You see, so it has to it has to do with intention. And then there's also the principle of double effect, right? So you, you're g- engaging in an act that has two effects: one evil act and one uh, good act uh, that that come out of this particular action. How do you know whether to engage in the act or not? Right. So there's four basic criteria. The act itself cannot be intrinsically evil. So the act itself cannot be by by nature in and of itself an evil act. The good effect must be intended and the evil effect must be tolerated. Um, the good effect cannot be the third one is that the good effect cannot be brought about by an evil action. Right? So you can't do something evil in order to, to, that something good may come out of it. And then finally, the good effect must be. Um, of equal or greater proportion to any uh, evil effect that may come out of it. That's, that's um, called proportionality with regard to that. So, so the church has a way of thinking through these issues that the Holy Father is, is talking about here when it comes to um, our participation, uh, levels of participation in particular acts that, um, that, are, are, that are evil. That's incredibly helpful. Uh, to to walk through that because that really um, that really sets the stage for understanding and also the importance of pastoral care, right? For the the person who is in a situation where they're thinking through and they're like, I, I don't feel like there's any way I can get out of this situation. To to have a conversation with somebody who is trained in in you know moral theology. Uh, whether that be a confessor or a spiritual director or somebody who who can help you think through these stages, because when you feel that you're in a in a bind in a in a no win situation, the church can help reflect upon the effects, the intentions, the moral law, and and kind of you know in a way that is, as it were, disinterested. Meaning, uh, you know, the the church is helping you think through this from the perspective of eternity, not right here and right now. And, well, what's going to help me, you know, uh, earn the most money or whatever it may be, whatever the other potentials are. And I think actually here in this this last little bit of this chapter, John Paul writes about what the, again, the moral law. And he says we need to promote life. And in paragraph 75, he says this important thing. The negative moral precepts have an extremely important positive function. When we say, thou shalt not kill, that, as he says, it makes clear the absolute limit beneath which free individuals cannot lower themselves. The law, thou shalt not kill, provides the basic baseline upon which we move forward. So it is a prohibition, but it's a prohibition that frees us. He says, at the same time, this prohibition indicates the minimum which they must respect and from which they must start out in order to say yes over and over again. A yes which will gradually embrace the entire horizon of the good, as he says. St. Augustine writes, the beginning of freedom is to be free from crimes, like murder, adultery, fornication, theft, fraud, sacrilege, and so forth. Only when one stops committing these crimes, and no Christian should be committing them in the first place, only then does one begin to lift up one's head towards freedom. And as Augustine concludes, but this is only the beginning of freedom, not perfect freedom. Uh, 
And I think that that's a good reminder for us. The church isn't saying no because to to killing. God isn't telling us no to killing because out of out of a desire to control. It's because that's the baseline from which we begin to recognize the inherent dignity of all persons around us, you know. And this is where we begin from. And it's a basic step that we can all agree on. That's an and that's an extremely important point because we live in a culture that misuses its freedom because it doesn't understand what true freedom is. Right. And, and that's why we have the, these laws, for example, unjust laws, because I'm free to do whatever I want. You see, that, that, that in the mind of the culture is what freedom is. And you cannot restrict me from doing what I want. See, that, hold on. The, the Holy Father is saying that's really not freedom, that's license, right? Um, again, freedom is directed toward the common good. And that's something that we cannot forget, that ultimately freedom is not about freedom for me, but freedom to be who God created me to be. Yep. You know, um, the, the, the freedom that gives everyone opportunities for, for growth, um, for, for development, for ownership of property, for life. You know, that's, that's what you So we have to create an atmosphere where everyone becomes free to, to, to um, live out their full potential. Yep. You know, and that's that's what we have. That's where we need to get to. And and that's such a great I mean, John Paul concludes with that very thought. The commandment you shall not kill even if, even in its more positive aspects of respecting, loving and promoting human life is binding on every individual human being. It resounds in the moral conscience of everyone as an irrepressible echo of the original covenant of God, the creator with mankind. He says, it is a service of love that we are producing. We are asked to love and honor the life of every man and woman and to work with perseverance and courage so that our time, marked by all too many signs of death, may at last witness the establishment of a new culture of life, the fruit of the culture of truth and of love. And that's the call that the great saint, John Paul II, leaves us with at the end of chapter three here in Evangelium Vitae. And Deacon, with that, we've run out of time again tonight. <laughs> oh, it goes by so fast. Well, how can people stay in touch with us till next time? So we're on Facebook. Just type in Living Stones Media into your old Facebook search bar and uh, you'll find us. We've got a little group. Uh, post the occasional link. And, uh, of course, you can also download all the previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing? Sure, may Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.